Amen. In Christ alone. It's beautiful. I needed, I needed that this morning. I uh, want to welcome again all of our guests who are here. I know we have some churches who were a part of the Mid-South Girls Conference yesterday. And for all the other guests, we're glad you're here. I hope over the next few minutes that I have something to say that can be helpful, that can be hopeful, uh, Jesus-centered, and not helpful in a way where it's like self-help of here are four things you can do this week to live a more happy life, but uh, hopefully I can offer up something to you of substance uh, that can have meaning as you live this week. Uh, there are a lot of reasons to like panic right now in the world we live in, right? Uh, to panic, to be concerned, and um, I, I mean, the last couple of weeks have been crazy, hadn't it? Like the cultural climate, like, I, like I'm just in certain settings where I can feel racial tension, I can feel cultural tension, and um, I mean, just the last couple of weeks, just right here in our nation, a nation I dearly love, there have been uh, a lot of protests and marches and women marching and pro-life marches and uh, executive orders. And uh, last night, if you notice, uh, a lot of protests at airports against the Muslim ban, like a lot of stuff going on. And there's reason for a lot of you, uh, like in your life, you're like, man, there's reasons for me to panic and to be concerned. And some of you are like, I don't have to look outside of my own life to panic or to feel concerned. So let me try to offer up just, I, I mean, maybe a, a simple word of comfort, like Jesus is not panicking today. Um, he's not in panic mode. God and Jesus aren't sitting at a table talking about, and, and the Holy Spirit too. Sometimes we leave him out. Sometimes the Spirit's like, hey, let me in on the table too. I mean, God, Jesus, and the Spirit aren't sitting there today thinking, well, we don't know what to do with this one. Like, what are we going to do now? We didn't see this coming. Or uh, are we sure that the power of the resurrection can get the church through this season and this century? Um, God's not panicking about what to do. But because Jesus isn't panicking today doesn't mean that you don't have reason to panic or to be concerned. There's some things in your life and things going on in the world that it's okay to be concerned about. So your preacher isn't standing in front of you today saying, hey, today, right now, in this place and in this worship service is where your concerns need to go to die and to be annihilated and to never exist again. What I do hope you hear your preacher saying is, this is the place and this is the time for your concerns and your anxieties and what you worry about and what you panic about to be put in its proper position, in its proper place. And that is Jesus is first in Christ alone. He is our foundation. In his power we stand. And through what Jesus has accomplished in the world and in our lives, we can view all of our concerns and worries and put them in their proper place. Some of you came to church today and you're like, man, there's so much cultural stuff going on, so, so much, just a cultural climate, and I just want to go to a worship service where I don't hear anything about it. I want to sing songs, listen to prayers, hear a sermon based on the Bible, and you want to escape it, and I get there. Sometimes I'm in that exact same place, yet some of you came this morning, and you're like, we better talk about it, because church should be the place that we can talk about things like abortion and immigration reform, and you name it. We should be able to work through what it means for the church to exist and do these things. And then I've seen on social media, though, I've tried to stay away from it the last couple of weeks, I've seen where there are even leaders saying, if your preacher gets up and says something about such and such cultural issue, you need to leave that church because he has an agenda and then there are other people saying if you if your preacher stands up and does say something you need to leave and do something else because he has an agenda all right so i'm kind of in a place this morning like all i know to do is i just want to be faithful to god and try to point the church in the ways of jesus i don't want to drop the word of god today i want to hold it up 
like when the people in the Old Testament held up the Ark of God and they were told, do not fumble this, all right? That's not really in the Hebrew, but like, don't drop it, don't fumble it, or you're going to die. I, I want to hold the Word of God with great care. The one thing in church we usually don't want to drop is communion. Have you ever dropped communion before? Like, it's okay if you drop the, the bread because you can just put it back in there and there's that five-second rule, you know? <laughs> I mean, in church, you know, because of the grace of God, it's like a 30-second rule. It can sit on the ground for a little longer because the grace of God's so good, all right? Uh, But you don't want to drop the cup, right? Like, that's the one. You don't want to drop it. I was up on this front row probably eight years ago. I was, I only been here maybe a year. I was on this front row, and the cup was handed to me, and we fumbled it, and it spilled to my lap right before I got up here to preach, And I was like three minutes away from preaching. I was like, what do I do? So I ran out that exit door, ran around outside to the kitchen where I start trying to dry off this spot on my light-colored khaki pants, all right? And some of you saw me run out, and you're like, well, I guess he just didn't think his sermon was good. He's gone for the day, you know? Where did he go? Maybe his fantasy football team needs to be set in a different order. Who knows? And, And I stood up, and I remember saying, hey, today I'm a preacher who literally preaches covered in the blood of Jesus. What can I say, you know? Um, I don't want to drop the word this morning. John chapter 15, I want you to turn there. 11 verses, mark in your Bible, get ready to take notes, circle things, put stars, highlight. I'm going to read, it's going to be on the stage, uh, uh, on the screen. I hope it's in uh, front of you this morning. And I want you to focus in on two different phrases that you're going to read or you're going to hear me read this morning. One is the the word abide. In some of your versions, it will be the word remain. I want you to circle or underline or note how many times that word's going to be used in the other phrases, bearing fruit. I want you to notice how many times in these 11 verses it talks about bearing fruit. So look for the word abide or remain as well as bearing fruit. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Uh, He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Some of your versions, he cleans to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I, I, I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them, they bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. And whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and you become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. For the reading of the word of God this morning, the church said, Amen. Amen. We're right in the middle of a series called Grow. It's a seven-week series I'm kicking off this year with, talking about what it means to to grow in Christ. God has an invitation for you and an expectation for growth to happen in your life and in the church. God wants you to grow. God wants his church to grow. What God did for creation in the very beginning, when God created the world, he didn't take his hands off. He had an expectation that the world would grow and progress and transform and be cultivated. And what God expected for creation, he also expects for new creation. That when we are born into Christ, there is growth and transformation and cultivation. Um, there's a guy, uh, Matt Emmons. Maybe you know his name. 
in 2004, he was about to win uh, the second gold medal in the Olympics. And he, all he needed to do, he, he stood up. He was taking part in the 50-meter uh, three-position rifle competition. And all he needed to do on his last shot was to hit the target. His lead was so great uh, but, uh, of everyone else. All he had to do was hit the target, not the bullseye, not even close to the bullseye. He just had to hit the target, and he would win another gold medal. And he aimed, and he shot dead bullseye. He got it. But for some reason, the, the signal on the scoreboard wasn't lighting up. He thought there was a technical difficulty. I would have thought the same thing. He hit it the bullseye, and then he saw the three referees walking over to him wearing their red jackets, and he was shocked when they informed him that he had hit the wrong target. He was in lane two. He hit the target in lane three. And he was this close to just hitting a target to win a gold, and he hit the wrong target and didn't even place. Are there times in your life when you've been aiming at the wrong target? The technical term for this is that there's cross-firing that happens. And there are times in the Christian's life where we think we're aiming at the right target, but it's not the, the God-given target. And we wrestle with, like, what is the meaning of my life? Why, why am I here? And what are you aiming for? Are you aiming for anything in your life? Like, is there a target? And sometimes we don't need to wrestle so much with what my target is because God has given us targets to aim for. He's given the church targets to aim for. You aim for the Great Commission. You aim for a greater life of bearing fruit, of extending love, of reaching out to whoever the vulnerable and marginalized may be. There are these targets that God has given us, and we aim for them, and we shoot for them. In chapter 15, verse 1, let me walk through just a few of these images. In chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus starts out this this section in his teaching. And what he says is, I am the vine. So in the book of John, Jesus has these I am statements about who he is. I am the vine, and God is the vine grower. Now in verse 5, what Jesus says is, I'm the vine, you are the branches. But before Jesus establishes relationship between Jesus and you, between Jesus and humanity, he establishes relationship between Jesus and his own Father. So before he gets to, I'm the vine, you're the branches, I'm the vine, and God is the vine grower. God is the one who makes growth happen. It's not by your ability to like perform well in Bible trivia, or how fast you run, or how good you do. God is the one who makes things grow. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because this is a place where Paul's dealing with this in the church of, in, in Corinth. And what he says in verse 6 through 9 is, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters, they have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. God is the vine grower. He is the one who makes things grow. You can't grow yourself if you're not attached to God. He's the one who brings growth. It's not about church programs. It's not about what pastor or minister or person you want to you become like. It's God who gives the growth. Now, Sunday morning is a great place for us to be nourished. But nourishment can't just happen once a week, right? Like you can't go from Sunday morning to Sunday morning thinking you're being properly nurtured in your life. And the good news is God doesn't just nurture people on Sunday mornings. It's throughout the week that God wants to encounter his people to nurture them, nourish them, help grow them. 
In verse 2, what it says is, He, God, His Father, removes every branch in Jesus that bears no fruit, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes to make it bear more fruit. The goal of God, wanting to save people, is to connect them to Jesus in this covenant in a way where there's fruit that is being born. And and as God is growing this, there's this cutting process and pruning and detaching and and sometimes causing some pain in order for things to be properly attached so they can grow and be even more fruitful. So God's the one who makes growth. He invites it. He expects it. In In those 11 verses I read to you a moment ago, the word abide, or in some of your versions, the word remain, shows up 11 times. And there's almost this progression. I don't know if you caught it. You can go back and you can read it on your own. It's abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus. But then you get abiding in Jesus' words. You abide in his teachings, meaning we need, to, we need to be in the teachings of Jesus. And the last three abides you read about are that you abide in his love. You abide in the love of God. We abide. We remain there. We we. Make sure we are connected in that place. Now, in verse 5, what Jesus says is, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I'm the vine, you were the branches. And once a branch, always a branch. Meaning that you can be the healthiest branch that you think you are. And at no point in your life do you ever graduate from being a branch so you can become your own vine. You are a branch, and at no point do you become independent of the vine. The branch remains connected to the vine forever. Now, the way discipleship sometimes works is that there are people that we can look at and we can pray for and we can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. But it's not so they attach to me or attach to you. It's that ultimately we're trying to take their hand and attach them to the vine, to Jesus. Because if you notice what's happening in 1 Corinthians and those verses Paul is reading, is there are people in the church of Corinth who were saying, hey, well, I'm connected to the teachings of Paul. And someone else is saying, I'm connected to the teachings of Peter. And Paul's saying, no, you're connected to Jesus. Like, he's divine. He's your source of salvation and life. He's the center of it all. Now, in your life, you have choices that you get to make. Choices of whether you want to be connected to Jesus or not. There are some times where God forces things to happen in your life, and there are sometimes God leaves us to make choices of whether we want to be connected to the vine or not. But here's a choice you don't get, is that we don't get to choose what Jesus-flavored vine we want to connect to. Because sometimes what happens is like, man, we want to, I want to be connected to a Jesus-flavored vine that looks like me and thinks like me. I want to be connected to a Jesus-flavored vine that where people are connected to that same vine as me, or like they participated in the women's march or the pro-life march, or that the last couple of days they stand on a position that I stand in. It's not that you get to choose what part of the vine you are on, the right side or the left side. What helps me so much in life isn't where we have been and look in the past. It's what is our future? What is heaven? How's God bringing everything together? And I want to work backwards from that place. What are the things that are passionate to the heart of God that are going to be there for eternity? And how God is weaving and bringing things together. Is we going to get to choose what Jesus-flavored vine we're a part of? It's Jesus who's the vine and he invites you to be a part of it. Now, here's what's so confusing for a lot of people. And I, and I love sitting with folks and hearing stories and where we're coming from and how we're pr- trying to process life. And what becomes really confusing for some people 
is that it's not just that there are certain groups who have certain convictions, it's that there are Christians who seem to love God and love the Bible who end up on a, with certain positions in a place where I'm not. And this confuses some folks. I mean, some of you know Christians who love the Bible and you've been in Bible studies with these people and you've taken communion with them. And when it comes to, the, to LBGTQ, they've landed in a position that you are not. When it comes to immigration and what do we do and how do we care for refugees, there are people who may think a little different than you. There are Christians who love God, who love Jesus, who participated in the Women's March. And there are Christians who did this and it's not because they were uh, fighting for women to have the right to have abortions. It's because they're trying to stand up for opportunity and equality and dignity. And there, there are people who marched for life a couple of days ago. And, and I've even been, I've pressed against, and I'm anti-abortion, but I've pressed against people only taking a stand for babies to be born into the world because I think Christians should also be uh, th- th- fully invested and in that once kids are born that we're caring for them and for mothers and for families and education reform because all those things matter in a child's development. And there were Christians who marched who believed all those things. They have a pro-life ethic from womb through all of humanity wanting the best for humans and Over the last couple of days, there are Christians who want this nation to be better secured. And there are Christians who want to fight and stand up for refugees all over the world. And we're connected to this same vine. Taking the same bread, the same cup. I'm grateful today that the church is spread out all over this world and the church is thriving in places all over this world. The church is thriving under governments that are somewhat like ours and some of them are way different than ours. I think it's good for us to always remember the church is not the government. The government is not the church. And the church is often at its worst when it tries to get in bed with the government. God has appointed government. Government's in place. We pray for government, but it's the church. Jesus has given us a mission. And things that we invest in and and our ability to grow for God is, is how are we bearing fruit for the world? So when Jesus talks about remaining in the vine, it's how are we bearing fruit? What kind, of, what kind of fruit is the church bearing throughout the world today? And I think a better question isn't just, is the church bearing fruit for the good of the world? Because no tree that bears fruit is for itself. It's for the world. It's not, are we bearing fruit? But what kind of fruit are we bearing? Is it fruit that looks like the kind of fruit the Holy Spirit wants to be born from the church? Um. There was a book on spiritual disciplines I I read a while back, and it had this chapter on evangelism, and I'll never forget this one story. There was a guy, uh, uh, he was the owner of a business, and he had an employee come up to him one day, and the employee said, hey, I I don't know if you're a praying man or not, but I just wanted you to know that I, I became a Christian this past weekend. And if you are a Christian, will you pray for me? because I want to like, grow up into Christ. And the owner said, you've got to be kidding me. I've been a, I am a Christian. I've been praying for you for years that you would become one too. And this person looked at him and said, really, you are? And the owner said, yeah, and I've been praying for you to become one. And the person said, you're the reason that for a few years I never became a Christian because I thought if someone could grow up to be a good person and successful like you without Christ, then maybe I can make it without Christ too connected to this guy working in the same place and never knew the fruit we're called to bear is more than fruit of being nice people in the world it's fruit that's bearing witness to what god has done and is doing in our lives i had a friend pastored a church in dallas and they just baptized a muslim family 
dad, mom, kids. It's beautiful. And he said when they baptized them, it's a church that when they get into the water, they often share testimonies that led to that decision. And there was a statement that this one Muslim person said as they were giving their life to Jesus. And I'm hesitant even if I want to share it right now, right? But here's what this person said. They said, it took some Christians in this church to engage me time and time again for me to have a relationship with them before I was open to hearing about the good news of Jesus. And it took Christians and believers in the flesh to rescue me from all the believers I encountered on social media. Isn't that wild? The church is called to bear fruit, so let me do this, okay? We're called to bear fruit. We're called to abide in Christ. Let me sit down. Uh, Let me give you a few obstacles that keep us from abiding in Jesus. I hope this is helpful. There's seven of them. Write them down. They're going to be on the screen. If you want to wait until all seven are up there, you can take a picture. If so, just make sure you get my good side, all right, in that picture, okay? Uh, (laughs) Which some of you are like, well, you didn't give us much of an option, all right? Um, Number one, uh, some of the reasons that we struggle with obstacles of, of abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus. Number one, we are distracted people. We're some of the most distracted people who have ever walked the face of the planet. Uh, we may think we know how to pay attention, uh, but we don't. A lot of times Casey says, I need you to listen to me with your eyes because I think I've been given the ability to watch ESPN and to listen to my wife, but apparently I don't, all right? Uh, but we are, we are so distracted. We don't know how to pay attention to each other and to people, and we don't know how to pay attention to God. We're distracted people. Number two, uh, and, and these aren't seven that I'm trying to like place guilt on top of you. These are things I've wrestled with that I'm writing through and I hope they can be helpful to give us things to pray through. Number two, we're exhausted. Like we're tired people. We stay up late, we wake up early. Um, and some of us are to the point where we have to take medication at night or drink a glass of wine to help us to go to sleep and we wake up in the morning and the first thing we need is coffee or a shot of caffeine to help make us through a day. When God created something called rest, it's good for the body, the mind, and the soul. It's good for relationships. Now, for the first two, and you've heard me talk about these before, like when it comes to being some of the most distracted and some of the most exhausted people who've ever lived on the face of the planet, how is God going to speak a clear word into an exhausted, distracted heart? And I'm not saying anything's impossible for God, but it's a difficult task when we don't know how to sit and pay attention. I encourage people to develop prayer lives with your phone in another room so you can have a little time to pay attention. Number three, uh, uh, one of the things that keeps us from abiding in the vine is um, our willingness to endure growing pains. Every form of pain, every form of growth has pain that goes with it. This happens to your body. It also happens with God. I'm not suggesting that any form of pain in your life, psychological, social, physical, I'm not suggesting that it's God-induced pain. I'm not making that statement. But when it comes to growing in the Christ, there's pain. In chapter 15, verse 2, it says God prunes. There are times where God is, is chipping away at a branch in order for it to grow to be more fruitful. Our ability to grow in life and to grow with God solely depends on our willingness to endure some pain to get to greater growth. Are we willing to endure it so God can have his way with us? N- number four. Uh, we live, often live in denial about the seriousness of sin in our lives. We often uh, slip into what some people have called the gospel of sin management. If I can just manage the sin, then I will be okay. 
Or we get to a point where we think, well, there's sin in my life, but is it, it doesn't seem to be making me into a bad person. And if it's not making me into a bad person, why should, I, why should I quit? We live in denial about the seriousness of it. Now, some of you don't live in the denial about the seriousness of your sin. What you're struggling with is there's sin in your life since your conversion, maybe seasons of intentional sin. And what you wrestle with and live with is the doubt of whether you're saved or not. Maybe you're raised in a church culture where the grace of God and the forgiveness of God wasn't talked about much. And what you need to be reminded of is that the blood of Jesus that covers you um, through what he accomplished on the cross and through what we enter into through covenant, confession, and baptism doesn't come with like a 500,000 sin plan. And once you hit your quota, you got to re-up again. It's the blood keeps flowing. Number five, I'm hitting these quick. Number five, if you go to the next one, we live in a fear of being still. It kind of goes along with being exhausted and distracted. We don't know how to be still. In the thought of spending 10 minutes to be still before God, some of us think there are things in our lives that are way more productive than being still before the Lord. But there's no such thing as a surgeon performing surgery on moving patients. It's that we've got to be still so that God can dissect in our hearts, so it needs to be rooted out so God can make us into what God wants us to be. We've got to learn to be still. Number six, uh, a lot of times in lives, we settle with mediocrity instead of striving for what is better. We coast, we settle for what is mediocre instead of reaching for what God has in store for us. It is so much more adventurous. One of the things that frustrates me, and I've shared this in some circles, is when people come to me and there's an issue in their life and I feel like they are in need of a, a professional therapist. I'm not a trained therapist. It may be pain in their own life. It may be a marriage that is suffering and I encourage them to go. And then they come back to me and they tell me that, well, they looked into it, but it was going to be too expensive. It's going to be too expensive to pay money to go to a, to a, to a, to a therapist. And in my mind and, and verbally, I often say, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you, can, you pay $10,000 for a wedding, yet you won't pay $1,200 over a span of 12 months for the sake of your marriage. Or for the sake of your own heart and your health and your, your mind. That are we willing to sometimes sacrifice that we'll, for what will get us healthier than to settle for what is mediocre? And the seventh thing, sometimes it is so hard to measure the fruit in our lives. In the last few weeks since I've been preaching this series, I've had a lot of conversations with some of you about this. You're struggling with being able to see fruit that's coming from your life. Remember, God does the growth, not you. And God grows on his timing, not yours. And there's some fruit that is coming from your life that you will never hear about. But for anyone who is remaining connected to the vine, we just trust that the fruit of God is coming somehow, some way. If you feel like you're in a weak spot, and sometimes I have to do this. Sometimes I just have to ask God, God, I'm in a weak place. And will you just send one person in my life this week that can remind me that what I do matters? And lay it before the Lord and just see what God does. John chapter 15, verse 8 says this. Here's what brings glory to God. You ready for this? Here's what brings glory to God. That you bear fruit and that you become his disciples. What brings glory to God is that you are living a life that is bearing fruit and that you are becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's about what you are doing with your life, with and for God. It's also about who you are becoming in your life, with and for God. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember a few years ago, Mercedes, they, uh, through research and 
just through some of their, their creativity. They, they, um, what they did is they came out with this, uh, through their research, a way that would reduce the impact of collisions by 50%. They were able to form this car body that would reduce the, the, the impact in a collision by 50%. And, and what got a lot of attention was Mercedes refused to put a patent on it. Instead, they let it be known to all these other car manufacturers what it was they had done so they could do it too. Now, they formed, this, they formed a marketing campaign about it to let people know it was them that did it. But then there was this one phrase, and what they said was this. There's some things in life that are too important not to share. And when it comes to being branches connected to the vine, there are some things in life that are way too important not to share. We're about to enter a time of a couple of, we're going to sing a couple of songs. There are prayer tables to receive you. If there's any way that we can serve you and pray for you as you abide in Christ and as maybe you can name some obstacles in your life that are keeping you from abiding in him. In just a moment, we're going to have a baptism. Someone's going to enter into the water this morning making this confession that they want to abide in Jesus. And Jim Hinkle is going to be in the water baptizing this person, and I haven't even talked to Jim about it, but this may not just be a day for one person. There may be someone else who it's time for you to make a decision that, hey, I can't be a good person if I'm not connected to the vine. I can't go through the rest of life thinking that God will save me just by the good things I've done. You've got to make a decision to connect yourself to the source of salvation and the source of life, and I'll make the invitation for you. Jim Hinkle is going to be in the water Already this morning, why don't someone else go and join him in the water? Let this be the day that you confess Jesus is your Lord, abide in the vine, commit yourself to wanting to live a life that is so adventurous and so life-giving. A prayer I've been praying over this church for the last few weeks is Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. And what it says is, those who seek the Lord are not forsaken by God. God doesn't abandon those who seek him. And so there's a... The professional football team, my team, they lost a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and in their practice facility, they have this statement. And it's a statement that works no matter where we live, if you, if you go to that next slide. And the statement at their practice facility is the only thing that matters is what you do now. So when you hear John 15 and what Jesus says about the vine and the branches, what do we do now? And can we stand together? Make your way to one of our prayer leaders this morning. Make your way to one of our tables. Or will you come up front and we will usher you to the waters where you can be immersed into Jesus. Let's sing together.